figuring out what the audience expects and then doing something different is great fun to me, Charlie Chaplin once said. In one of my pictures, The Immigrant, the opening scene shows me leaning far over the side of a ship. Only my back could be seen, and from the convulsive shudders of my shoulders, it looked as though I was seasick. If I had been, it would have been a terrible mistake to show it in the picture. What I was doing was deliberately misleading the audience, because when I straightened up, I pulled a fish on the end of a line into view, and the audience saw that, instead of being seasick, I'd been leaning over the side to catch the fish. It came as a total surprise and got a roar of laughter. <laughs> Comedy seems like the most simple thing in the world when you hear Chaplin describe it like that. But even for him, an icon of the silent film era, it wasn't quite easy. While making that movie in 1917, Chaplin shot 90,000 feet of film for a 20-minute picture. To put that in perspective, 90,000 feet isn't far off three times the cruising altitude of a jumbo jet. Yet he cut it all down, Chaplin was his own editor, to bring it to the 1,800 feet of film that he finished with. That gives you some idea of the hardship that making The Immigrant was. And The Immigrant gives you some idea of the hardship that immigration was. And what better representation of the difficulty of realising the American dream than the first perfect gag of the picture, turning a journey of seasickness into landing a fish. I'm Tony Robinson, and you're listening to It's About Time. <laughs> The Immigrant touched me more than any film I've made. These are the words of Charles Spencer Chaplin, born in London in 1889. Just a quarter of a century after his birth, Chaplin wouldn't just be any immigrant to America. He would be one of the most famous faces on the planet, having risen from humble beginnings to becoming a Hollywood hero. So when he made The Immigrant in 1917, the opening tease of seasickness and the punchline of landing a fish certainly worked as a joke. But it also worked as a representation of how his story panned out, from hard beginnings to fame and fortune. He didn't go for the gold rush, like many did over half a century earlier, but he certainly hit the jackpot. Really, though, in a wider sense, rather than being a collection of jokes for joke's sake, the whole film represented the journey of millions pursuing the American dream. Even though he was a Hollywood icon who found his fortune, we often think of Chaplin as the poverty-stricken little tramp, and for good reason. He played the famous character over and over again throughout his career. Baggy trousers, tight coat, big shoes, tiny hat. I wanted everything to be a contradiction, he said. A 
And the narrative of his life was one of rags to riches, contrasts and contradictions too. The young Charlie spent time in and out of workhouses with his brother Sidney before finally getting into the acting industry full time. His mother Hannah was committed to an asylum due to psychosis, seemingly a symptom of syphilis, with only limited periods of respite from her illness. Yet while all seemed to be falling apart around him, it was amid this chaos that his hardiness was formed. Or, as he later humbly put it, I was hardly aware of a crisis because we lived in a continual crisis. And the same went for the resilient little tramp in all of Chaplin's films, the immigrant included. It's a film of two halves, the first of the journey and the second of the destination, and chaos reigns in both. So let's talk about the journey. Millions of people flocked to America from all over the world to find their fortunes through the 1800s and into the 20th century. It was a fortune that Chaplin did indeed find, but for him, and even more so for others, the waters were choppy. Even getting there wasn't plain sailing. Before you arrived, the journey to America could be traumatic. Atlantic passage on an immigrant vessel wasn't exactly a trip on the QE2 ocean liner, and the immigrant shines a comedic light on many of the reasons why, using the slapstick and the subtle. First up, you have the rocking of the ship itself. It was constantly moving, a nausea-inducing trip across the ocean in conditions that were cramped and uncomfortable, to say the least. Indeed, while in Chaplin's version they crowd above deck for a running time of ten minutes, in reality, the majority of passengers on most immigrant ships had to huddle below deck in squalor and sickness for two or three weeks, sleeping in bunks only a few feet high as they rocked against the waves. The rocking effect of the ship was brought to life in the film not just through seasickness jokes, but quite literally on camera. A heavy pendulum was fitted to the camera head and enhanced the visual effect because it was mounted on a special tripod that allowed it to rock from side to side. That meant that once the set moved, the camera moved too. Even the ship's dining hall was fashioned from a studio set that had been built on rockers. The full vision of the rocking could be seen by the audience as the cast fell about the place with the aid of not just their acting skills, but with a huge dose of gravity too. Playing cards and meagre dinners flew across tables as the ship heaved its way through the waves. But this vaudeville exaggeration and physical comedy sits alongside more nuanced takes on the experience of the immigrant. If you look at the rush to the dining hall started by a mealtime bell, the passengers all run and cram themselves in, falling over as the boat rocks. But they've all rushed there and crammed in because, much like the real-life immigrants, they were absolutely famished to the point of desperation. 
And it's through this pointed social criticism that The Immigrant sets itself apart from many of the films Chaplin had made up to that point. We'll see that social criticism in focus when the hopeful passengers get to the promised land, which we promise to get to after this quick break. Stick around for more It's About Time. It's About Time is sponsored by Ancestry. Discover your family history within the billions of records on the Ancestry website and take the Ancestry DNA test to learn more about who you are today with details like your ethnic makeup and relatives you never knew existed. Listeners of this podcast can enjoy free postage on an Ancestry DNA kit. Just visit www.ancestry.com forward slash podcast DNA. That's www.ancestry.com forward slash podcast DNA for free postage on an Ancestry DNA kit. So you can start your Ancestry DNA journey today. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid until the 24th of November, 2016. Chaplin's The Immigrant was originally based on a very simple idea. The boat journey actually didn't feature at all. It was supposed to be just about a lunch. The little tramp would go into a restaurant for a plate of beans, discuss someone eating close by through his unmannerly eating methods, and then fall for a woman at another table before embarrassingly discovering that he didn't have the money to pay his bill. Hilarity, of course, would ensue, and America's immigrant population would be in on the joke. Being short a few cents to pay for food was daily life. And all of that did happen in the picture. Only once filming had started, it was decided that a backstory was needed, a first part that established a prior story for the little tramp and the penniless young waif he meets at the restaurant, who was played by Edna Purviance, an off-screen lover of Chaplin's. The tramp and the waif meet on board ship when she's looking after her ailing mother as they also aim for America. The little tramp is enamoured from the start. Indeed, the waif even helps him clear his name when he's accused of pickpocketing. Pickpocketing her sick mother, in fact. She convinces the ship's guards of his innocence. Far from having stolen any money, what they actually saw was the little tramp putting a huge wad he's just won in a card game into the waif's pocket without her knowing, because she and her mother are in dire straits. But even while performing that good deed, Chaplin, the director, acknowledges the real-life hardship of immigrants to America at that time. The tramp's own poverty forces him to reassess the amount of money he sneaked into her pocket and pinches a few dollars back. So, after all that hardship in travelling, what greater thrill could there be than sailing into New York and seeing that iconic symbol of freedom, the Statue of Liberty? Well, what greater reality check for Chaplin's little tramp and his fellow passengers than to be lassoed like cattle by the immigration officers on arrival? This moment gives the central character and his audience a chance to glance back towards the Statue of Liberty with a brief sceptical look while standing there waiting to be herded off the ship. 
But before they disembark, he aims a sneaky little kick at one of the immigration officers. Then, perhaps as karmic punishment, the rope used to herd the immigrants separates him from the new love he's just found on board, and he's sent off with a kick in the rear end. But don't worry about our starboard cross lovers. They'll meet again at the restaurant. That was a little nautical Shakespeare pun. Starboard cross lovers, yeah? Hmm? Maybe silent comedy would have been the best choice for me, too. It's a momentary break from absolute poverty which allows them to meet again. Wandering the streets, Chaplin's tramp is starving and can only go and buy a plate of beans because he finds a coin on the ground. On ordering his beans, the waiter makes very clear that he doesn't approve of his raggedy customer. The tension's played out in an exchange that sees the waiter take the little tramp's hat off. How rude of him to have it on while sitting down at a table in a restaurant, only for Chaplin to pull it back on and for that to happen over and over again. Hilarious, yes, but this is all crucially based on the social divide. The poor immigrant is oblivious to the etiquette expected, even in this fairly low-rent restaurant. He does try... After the waiter throws the plate of beans on the table, Chaplin makes an effort to eat them singly with a knife and fork. But the well-to-do fellow beside him is full of contempt. Eventually, the little tramp succumbs to his lack of training in fine dining and his hunger and dunks his bread in his coffee and scoffs down his beans in loads piled on the back of his knife. But that's when the miracle happens. At another table sits none other than his wife. I told you that would happen. And as the tramp notices in shock, his beans miss his mouth and fall into his coffee. The pair are reunited, but reality doesn't fully give way to romance. Another man is thrown out for not being able to pay his bill, as the tramp realises that he doesn't have his money either. It actually fell through a hole in his pocket immediately after he picked it up. There's a reason the alternate title of this film was simply broke. The reality of the immigrant is stark. The waif is grieving for her mother, who has died since the boat trip. When the little tramp finally manages to pay his bill, slyly using the tip left by a rich actor who promises the pair work, the prospect of any kind of financial security inspires him to drag his new love to the marriage office. And without the comedy, this was the reality for millions. Poverty, sickness, hunger, often an early death. That's one of the reasons why the immigrants struck such a chord. It's also one of the reasons it was recognised by the United States National Film Registry as culturally, historically and aesthetically significant. That's their terminology, but in its humble telling of a tiny piece of the reality of the American dream, it's more grand than that. Thanks for listening to It's About Time with me, Tony Robinson. It's About Time is brought to you by Ancestry, the leader in family history and consumer genomics. Thanks to them for all their help in putting this episode together. If you liked It's About Time, make sure to subscribe, rate and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It would be very much appreciated. 
If you subscribe, new episodes will download automatically. And if you let us know how much you like this and our other episodes, that'll help us bring you many more. Remember, tell a friend, tell Twitter, tell Facebook, tell your local GP, anybody. Until next time, goodbye. It's About Time is sponsored by Ancestry. Discover your family history within the billions of records on the Ancestry website and take the Ancestry DNA test to learn more about who you are today with details like your ethnic makeup and relatives you never knew existed. Listeners of this podcast can enjoy free postage on an Ancestry DNA kit. Just visit www.ancestry.com forward slash podcast DNA. That's www.ancestry.com forward slash podcast DNA for free postage on an Ancestry DNA kit. So you can start your Ancestry DNA journey today. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid until the 24th of November, 2016.